No, 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 no. Because this, this is, this is big data, Frank. (laughs) (laughs) But I threw AI in there. I threw some ML at it. Blockchain. And welcome back to the Refactor Podcast, the the show where we try to help ourselves and you suck just a little bit less each day. My name is Frank Cole. And I am an under-caffeinated Chris Tonkinson. (laughs) I think I could use some more, too. I really stumbled through that intro. And this is episode 86, recorded on November 1st, 2022. I came across something. Are you much of a stand-up comedian fan? Are you a fan of stand-up comedy? I enjoy it. I don't usually seek it out, mm, but if okay. it's on, uh, you know, I'll watch it. Yeah. I I, ha- I have always been a massive, massive stand-up comedy fan. Um, I watched when I discovered it as a kid on Comedy Central, the stand-up specials. I got hooked on it then. I started going to comedy shows when I was older. Um, I never did it myself. I knew that that wasn't my skill set. I, I, I was self-reflective enough that I know that I would suck at that royally. Um but as opposed to podcasting, we go in just blindly ignorant to our own <laughs> limits. This one's a barging bit, forward this into one's the abyss. a little easier to stumble forward through, I think. Just a, just a titch, mainly because there's no live audience booing you with throwing you know, tomatoes. The, right. That's it. We have we have the Internet. Yeah, we have the Internet between us and our audience. Yeah. What could go wrong? And I have and I have an ed, I have edit buttons that I can go back and you know, yeah, less dumb. <laughs> Well, you can you can remove our foot from our respective mouths on occasion. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I, I, I really, I really enjoyed. I've always, I've always sought it out. Um, I had a, uh, and occasionally y- you hear a comedian do a bit that is just, you know, wise beyond its ken, you know, just, right. you know, you're being funny and it is really funny, but you're also making a much, much deeper claim here that you sometimes, and the best ones, they don't actually know that they're doing it. They're, they're the funniest ones. So there was a bit I heard on the radio the other day. So I have a, I have a, a Sirius XM subscription. The only thing I listen to on it are the stand up comedy channels. That's I just flip through mm-hmm. them on all my car rides, which is just fantastic. Being able to listen to stand up comedy all the time in the car is amazing. Um, and so I heard this, I heard this bit from a comedian I hadn't heard of. Uh, we'll, we'll link it in the show notes. I think, I think I found it on YouTube, uh, from a comedian called, uh, Lachlan Patterson, I think is how you say his name, Lachlan Patterson. And he talks about the George Foreman grill and his whole shtick was about the, you know, the sheer brazenness of George Foreman to, you know, be a boxer and then decide, no, I'm going to go sell grills and okay. just assume <laughs> this is the joke. The joke is George Foreman and I'm going to go sell grills and it's going to be amazing because I'm George Foreman, even though I know nothing about grills. And then what he proceeds to do is to talk about the original grill and, you know, and all of its flaws. And, and he makes a punchline out of each one of the, one of the flaws. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, George, don't you think it'd be a good idea if we made it possible for people to remove the plates from the from the grill so they could wash it? Nope, melt those suckers right in there and just make them dunk the whole thing <laughs> into the water. You know, it's it's that kind of stuff. And he goes right, through right. he goes through a a litany of reasonable, rational things that the George Foreman grill actually a lot does now, 
but coming out the gate didn't do. You couldn't remove the plates. It didn't have an on and off button. It didn't have a temperature control. It just heated up. You know, there were all these things. The lid, the lid could the not. The two stop. modes are are grill and dirty. That's yeah. what you get when you change the plug, when you unplug it. It goes from grill mode to dirty mode. Yeah, there's there's no on or off button. You plug it in, it's on. You unplug it, it's off. Um, there was no hinge. So the lid didn't sit open. You couldn't just leave the lid open. It, it was constantly just falling closed. You had to hold it open. It, you know, the, the plastic was horribly insulated. I had one of the original George Foreman girls, like the plastic heated up. It's amazing. The plastic didn't melt. Like that's how close it was to, you know, so it was, there were tons of flaws in the original design. And, and he, and and Lachlan, this very eloquent way calls them all out and, and very funny way calls them all out. But the, to me, that wasn't the funniest part or the, you know, the, the interesting part of it is, yeah, all of those things you're saying are true, but he, it still worked. They still sold a crap ton of grills. And if you go into any Target today or, or Walmart, you can still buy the latest and greatest George Foreman, Foreman grill. grill. It's yeah. still, it is still going. And they have made improvements. And a lot of the things that he makes fun of, they're, they're no longer issues. They've, they've solved those problems. It did not. What made that so interesting to me was that, yeah, everything he's saying is true. And yet it did not impede its ability to be successful. And so the key takeaway to be to be commercially successful, to be commercially. uh, okay, yeah. But even to be I mean, as a product, you know, it, it was it was successful. I mean, people bought it and it, you know, crap products don't last because people talk. You know, crap product. Microsoft Windows begs to differ. I mean, you might be, I mean, you you get to a level of scale. Crap products, crap products. We're in a fight about this instantly. Crap products do last because people don't want good quality products. They want cheap shit now. Well, I I think sometimes that's true. We're going into like, like societal commentary. I don't know how deep we want to go down that rabbit hole. uh, Yeah. Don't, don't, don't sidebar me with the societal. Don't, don't talk. Don't take me down the societal commentary sidebar just yet. I'm just, I'm just saying, look at, look at Amazon. You know what I mean? Like cheap products do last in this market. I I mean, cheap, depending on what you're trying. I, I, I never thought, sorry, I'm you're, you're going to a whole thing. I'm trying to take it. Go, go do your, make your point. You are ruining it. You, I ruined it. Yeah. My gosh. You were doing well until everyone died. That's that's you. That's basically you. Oh, what do you have an idea? I'm just going to come in and crap all over. Left turn. There's yeah. there's the meme. There's the meme with the school bus and the freight train. The freight right? train. Yeah, that's yeah. that's me. Like yeah, every you episode. You are the freight train, right? And my ideas, my my carefully cultivated ideas. My and then here's Chris's nonsense. Ridiculous. Um, no, I'm going to get through. This I should one. change. I should change the artwork for the the podcast feed for this episode. <laughs> just make it like that. Chris's nonsense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My point is that a product, yeah, it was cheap, but it has continued to advance, has continued to evolve. You know, mm-hmm. it started with an MVP and that MVP made sacrifices on things that you, you one could reasonably say are absolutely necessary. Things like temperature control. You know, George Foreman, the original temp, did not have temperature control. Didn't have it. Was, it, yeah. it was just hot. It was just. You know, 500 degrees flat. That's what it is. Done. Deal with it. 
or whatever, whatever temperature it was. And they may, I would argue they made the right calls on the things that would be most important. Now, some of that is obviously going to be, they sacrificed on certain features for the sake of price to get it low enough to lower the barrier so that they could actually turn more units. Because if you have a lower entry point, then you can, you turn more units, but then, you know, you're, that's also going to lower your profit margin, which means you need to sell more of them. So that's not always a good thing. I, you know, if you sell a few really expensive things versus a lot of really cheap things. Yeah. Volume versus margin. Uh, Yeah. That's classic stuff. Right. But putting that aside, they did, uh, you know, history will show that they did a good job picking out the things that were the most important. Part of it was price point and part of it was features. You know, those, you know, the original pitch of the George Foreman grill was how you could grill things. And it had this angle to it and the grill was set up so that it could drizzle off all of the fat. And so it was a way to cook up your meats in a more lean fashion. They, and they, they played that to the hilt to the sacrifice of other things that were you just building generic grill or griddle, you might consider including like removable plates, like temperature controls and things like that. And I thought that it was a really good is this is this a whole shaggy dog tale back to our last our last conversation? Uh, I wasn't going to bring up the last conversation, but what about it specifically jumping out at you? Because it's it's a killer it's a killer dunk to to exclaim. I think the the end point of that conversation about how uh like like the 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 Foreman Grill right it mm-hmm. was marketed basically basically as a health product. Really, yeah. right? As a fitness device, I, I, you kind can actually of, call yeah. this a fitness device. That's why George Foreman was such a good spokesman. Right, exactly, a, good spokesman for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you were willing; the market was willing to put up with the crummy plastic and the bad hinge and the lack of control and the lack of cleanability, and all, was willing to put up with all of that knee pain. Uh, in my analogy from last week, because it, you know, allegedly rendered a lower fat protein mm-hmm. when you when you used it yeah it's it's about it's about mvp it's about picking uh it's about focusing on the features that matter it's about picking the things that are most important understanding your audience understanding why they're interested and what they're interested in my opinion is that most the products in in software development usually fall into two camps. Well, three. Okay, there's this there's the ones who get it right. Okay, I'm going to push those aside cuz that's not interesting. Uh sometimes it's because It's also a very small number. It's a small number, <laughs> but it's also not interesting cuz there's nothing to really learn there because you were successful and you could actually it, it's hard to prove a negative. It's really hard to figure out why they were successful versus why they were, you know, why they could have not been successful. It's really hard to yeah. retroactively say, "Well, if you'd done this, then you would have bombed." You know, you, you can't really do that. Um but uh, the unsuccessful ones, or I will say the, you know, modestly successful, the ones that limp along, I'll lump those in there too, fall into two camps uh, when it comes to, when it comes to their, their build and their, and their design. Um, they either are a solution in search of a problem. So they have no idea. Like they have this thing that looks kind of cool because it's cool to me. And then they go and try and figure out who might want to use it. You know, who might want, you know, who might have a, a, a problem to solve with this and be willing to pay for it 
Because to me, that's the other thing. Just, you know, it being a problem, uh, I'm defining problem here as something that actually is a, you know, a marketable problem, something that somebody's mm-hmm. willing to trade yeah. dollars to solve. Okay. So that's a lot of your tech sector, right? Yeah, Solution in search of a problem. Right. That's it. That's exactly. So that's, that's, a Hey, problem. we built a thing. This is really cool. You can do this now. Somebody says, why would I want to do that? I don't know, but pay me a subscription fee and you can do it too. Right. Like why, why would I pay you for that? Yeah, it's a problem, but I can also solve that with a piece of paper and a pen. And you know, my, my, my cost is really not that big to begin with. So you're not really, yeah, it's not, no, 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 no. Because this, this is, this is big data, Frank. <laughs> but I threw AI in there. I threw some ML AI. In. Blockchain. 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 First. <laughs> dibs. Blockchain dibs. <laughs> Give me my Maserati. That's right. Insert blockchain. Collect Maserati. There's that, there's that group. And that's also fairly self-explanatory. That's not under, but that's a, that's a lack of understanding of, of your, of your market and who's actually going to use it. And sometimes yeah. it's, it's, you know, a solution in search of a problem. And then there's another group where they're onto something. Maybe they've got people talking and, you know, they've, they've, they, you know, maybe they've got some momentum. Maybe they have somebody who's on board, but they're, you know, not really hitting it, not really hitting a stride on who that marketable audience is. And, uh, this is I, this is a much more interesting group because uh, what you'll see for for products that are in this this category, uh, if you are an engineer on the team, uh, if your company is in this space, what you'll find is that the uh, the sales and marketing feels scattershot. So you'll you'll hear messaging that is directed at uh, businesses as as a you know direct B two B purchase or and or at the same time. Also messaging that's oriented at consumers, you know, direct to consumer purchases and or the old focus problem. They'll also, well, the focus problem is an, is a symptom, is a symptom of, of not understanding who's buying your, your product. And because especially unlike a George Foreman grill, which has a very, even, even the most convoluted complex grill, still a hyper-focused device. It's a grill. It, It cooks things, right? That's that still has more definition and direction than your average software product, which can go in a million different ways. I forget what uh, we talked about it being a car. And then the next week, uh, I actually need to turn it into ice cream makers, I think was the analogy I use. You know, yeah. The, 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 the nebulousness, the, the amorphic nature of software makes it very hard to to define things more concretely. And so I think that is. When you're when you're having a problem with with scattershot approach, it means you and you're having loose success, maybe in some places it means you're on to something, but you're lacking that focus. And well, and sometimes and there's two but there's two things. There's two things that get in the way of that, of course. Right. The first thing is that are you actually listening to the market? Right. So we we developed we developed a, you know, broadly a solution and we put it out into the market and we're getting some feedback and we're not actually paying attention to it. Um, So so do you have a good feedback loop? Do you have a good way to measure where your impact is and where the real opportunity is so that you have an so that you identify potentially an opportunity to either either, uh, you know, um, uh, I don't not reinvest. What's the what's the word I'm like? So so uh, strengthen in a certain area or pivot, right? Mm-hmm. Because maybe you were right, but you probably weren't. So maybe there's a pivot involved. So do you have the feedback mechanism? Are you getting that data? 
and are you paying attention to it? And then if that's happening well, do you have a product owner or a board member or a key investor who can't get out of the way of their own ego to recognize that what we originally thought was going to happen is not actually being validated by the market. We need to go a different direction. So there's like the, there's like the, there's like the business operations question. And then there's always the, you know, the human question behind it. And I think, you know, that's, that's where sometimes I think you get the scattershot approach where one of those, one or both of those two things is kind of busted. Possibly. Uh, My, my point was, um, yes, but you can even, I, I think even, well-intentioned leadership can end up in this space. The The trick is to, to catch it and to, you know, and to manage it. And the reason I'm talking about all this in the, in the confines of the George Foreman grill is that scarcity helps the fact that you, and this is, this is where a lot of software runs as a problem because of its amorphic nature. I can just bolt things onto it. I can have a screwdriver sticking out one side and a power saw out the other side. And that's a thing that you can do with software because software can just do anything at any time. And and speaking speaking of scarcity, there are a limited quantity of the new George Foreman Grill on the market. Sponsored Refactor Podcast, sponsored <laughs> by George Foreman Grill Incorporated. <laughs> we're now we're now running native ads. I don't know if you knew that or not. I've I've i just this is this is new I to just, me. I, well, because I, I incepted you. You're, you've been inceptioned into talking about the George Foreman grill. <laughs> They're penetrating the bureaucracy. The reason I'm talking about this in terms of software and using the George Foreman grill is that the scarcity actually helps you. If you can actually focus in on a feature or two features, you know, a handful of things, it almost doesn't matter what you pick, only that you pick, only that you say yes to a few things and then no to a whole bunch of other stuff. And in doing so, you are narrowly defining yourself. It makes it much easier to discern what people are interested in and what people aren't interested in. And so if you always keep that, that focus very, very narrow, it becomes easier to dial it, it, it sort of inversely from your expectations. It becomes easier to dial in on what the market is actually looking for because the absences, the things that are really useful well, there's only a handful of things that you're doing, so it has to be one of those things. And if you're missing a piece, the absence of it becomes very, very obvious. The painful, the 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 um, the essentialness of it becomes very, very obvious. But you're also you're putting your on top of just allowing you to define your market and define your direction. It's also allowing you to, to focus your efforts on the things that matter most. I mean, would it be great for my um, my my combination hookah and coffee maker to also make julienne fries. Yes, like, <laughs> oh, for throwback. sure. Yeah, like that would be that would be fantastic if it could. But you're you're not going to. That's not going to give you enough useful information to really figure out where the where the opportunity is in the market. And so by going with less, you actually end up with more. And because you're dealing with less things to start with the time and effort and quality that you're putting into the things that you do have goes up significantly. So you pivot well, faster. And, and sometimes, sometimes most importantly, the time it takes you to get out the door is a oh, lot yeah. shorter. Yeah. Which, and, and which I mean, matters. Yeah. And I mean, to find out the door, it doesn't even have to be your first customer. I mean, you're constantly going quote out the door with new updates and changes and things like that. And so if, again, if you keep your focus on a small limited set, 
it makes it easier to get out the door on those things faster. Now, that might be a running, that may be a conveyor belt of new stuff over time, but it should always be like where your focus is at should always be a small, narrow focus because that allows you to stay focused. I'm sorry, are we are we talking about business development or software development? Um, Boom. <laughs> he really dunked that one. I like that. I'm partial to the air horn, though. I like it. I, I, oh, yeah. You can't, you, can't, you can't go wrong with the DJ air horn. It's just fantastic. So it's a, it, it has all these benefits. And the George Foreman grill is, I, I think, a great example of that. Hyper-focused on the, the health factor. And the entire product was aligned around that. It was the griddles with the drip pan and it did just that. And they ignored a whole bunch of other stuff that make a ton of sense, but to get out the door wasn't worth the time or, or attention, but you get that success and then you build on that success. And then you add a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And now if you look at a George Foreman grill, it is very akin to a Honeywell or any other like a, a, uh, what's uh, I don't know my cooking brands. A- any other like name brand store bought Oster. That's the brand I was trying to think of. Oster. I don't know what the heck happened to my head. Kitchen utility company. Yeah, it's it's competitive, but but a new entrant in an existing market needs a hook, and so to validate whether or not that's worth a business model. Ignore all of this. Ignore the spinning rims. Don't don't worry about it. Just exactly. get get the thing out there. Yeah, and then you know, of course, as soon as you launch, you've got a backlog of other stuff you want to add. Of course, right. right. But but in order to know that you have something unique, and get to it separate out. and to separate what's actually what's actually hooking people versus the spinning rims. Sometimes it's hard what's to different tell. About sometimes it, yeah. it's very very hard to tell what the what what side is the sizzle and what side is the you know is is the you know is steak you know now say and this is why this and it's very hard i don't know if anybody's done this it's very hard to a b test with a physical product (laughs) (laughs) you gotta run like 19 different production lines and ship to all kinds of regions what for for what right Mm -hmm. um and so that's That's, hard to do that with software by the way it's real like good a b testing is hard to do with software it's it's hard Um, i mean good a b testing is not it's it's time intensive. It's actually it's it's simple. It's not it, it is hard, but it is simple to do. Oh and yeah, that, oh, and yeah. that is A B testing and 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 you know live fire testing with customers is some a way that software has it over physical products because it is like you said you don't need to run production lines and things like that. It's easier to yeah. put together a sample run of a software. Product if I if I ship a bad temperature control knob on my next version of the software, then I could just roll it back. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you but, can't reach into somebody's kitchen and yank appliances. I mean, I guess you can, but then there's like a whole law, mm, like legal thing, mm, you know, mm-hmm. gets in the way. Yeah. And so it, it, it can be hard to tell, you know, what, what is steak from what is sizzle. And this, by the way, I'm using this analogy deliberately because this is exactly why uh, software engineers and marketing folks get into trouble with each other because marketing sales, you don't sell the steak, you sell the sizzle, you sell the, experience you you talk to the you talk to your prospect about how they'll feel or what they'll experience and and you talk about you don't actually get into the to the meat and so the sizzle pieces benefits not features yeah so you get into that as a 
as a salesperson, that's what you want to do. That's that that is how you do it. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying that is what you do. But on the development side and the engineering side, you you actually want to steadfastly ignore that. You need to focus in on what is the problem that they're having and how can we solve that problem? It's two different conversations, complementary, both important, but they're but they're different and they can run into conflict if you don't logically keep them separated in your head. The George Foreman grill did a really good job of this because the grill itself was very functionally designed and the messaging was oriented around that. And they didn't let themselves get distracted by questions about other things that your typical grill would include and, you know, stayed focused on, you know, they stayed focused on the pro- on the product side. It's just these two plates. It's got this drip pan done. And then on the on the sales side, they stayed focused on how on the sizzle of those features. No, you know, low fat, no fat cooking. And then they got people on board with that and then they you know, they slowly expanded out to include more and more things. And this is really how it should get done. And so many companies get some part or another of this wrong. Software companies in particular get some part or another of this wrong. They focus on too many features too fast, or they are talking to their customers about one thing, but you know, the messaging of the product does not match the actual features of the, uh, you know, of the deliverable, um, you know, either over-promising or under-promising. And, and all of these things go away it becomes a lot easier if you have a very, very small subset of things that you're talking about. If the thing can only do one thing or two things, how you talk about it is very easy to figure out. How you build it is very easy to figure out. And so it has it has the benefit of keeping everybody aligned and pointing in the right direction. And I mean everybody. That's you, your product design people, your salespeople, your customers, your prospective customers. It's very easy to stay focused. And really, if you look at most successful products, yeah, a lot of them can can become big convoluted monsters today. That's not how they started. They all, well, not all, the vast majority of companies start with a very focused offering of Google. I'm, I am solving this exact, Google's a perfect example. Google does freaking everything under the sun. What did they start yeah. with? They were a search engine and they figured out a great way to monetize searches. And they automated searches. Before that, nobody remembers the dark ages where you had these um, dog pile. You had directories. You had <laughs> yeah. sites that some was, of them did some of this listen, automation. But listen, listen, kids, take it. Take a step back. Listen to this. So this is how we this is how we did things in the olden days of yore. There were manually curated directories of websites that human people. This is why Yahoo was big. They had a team of content curators that we would call them today editorial staff that would curate lists of stuff you might be interested in and tag websites and web pages. And so updates happened at the speed of humans, right? That, like that's that's the way it was. Google came along and they said, oh, we can automate this. And then boom, now, now they're evil corp. But now they're doing everything, right? Now they're super complicated. They don't know what they do, at least in the market, right? They still know what they do. They're selling ads. It's an older code, sir, but it checks out. So yes, that's, that's, how, that's how things came along. Google, that's all Google was. They were just a search engine that figured out a great way to crawl across websites automatically without having to do manual human entry and do it in a way that actually made sense and 
and ranked things appropriately. Page rank was, you know, is a, a Google original. Uh, well, that uh, was it. That, that like it was wasn't it. it wasn't necessarily the crawling or the like it was True. it was indexing and, and page rank was the thing because it was a novel way to try to figure out how right. relevant is a web page. But page yeah. rank by itself is not a thing that's going to get anything done. You need a website that's actually implementing the page ranking system. So you have to crawl pages and build that index of pages with the rankings associated with it. But again, even with that, still very hyper-focused. It was a very, very focused product. And then they grew onto it from there. Mm-hmm. What was what was like the next product that they did? I would have to go back and look at my history. I, you know, oh, I, know, I have no idea. I know a lot of people would want to say Gmail, but Gmail came much, 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 much later. Um, ads was their first. That's how they made money. Uh, well, know, yeah, ads, they, they monetized with they ads. They monetized with AdSense. Um, I don't, know, I don't know what their second main. Yeah, I wonder what their second was. Like, what was their second product? What was Google's second product? That'd be a good. We'll see if we can figure it out during the during the show here. Uh, Google Timeline's second product. Oh, this is great radio. This is good this radio. Is just, this is just awesome. Was it Maps? I, th- I think that came a little later. Hmm. And now I'm finding now I'm finding uh, Google Timeline, which is a product. <laughs> so that's that's yeah, that's not it. Google's incredible growth at Timeline. Here we go. Uh, let's see if we can find something here. There's the funding moves off campus. Blah blah blah. More investments. Uh, outgrows its offices. Revolutionizes advertising. There's the leadership stuff. Google sets sight on your inbox. Actually, that might have been. Um, so Gmail in. 2004. Yeah, but that was 2004. That was seven years in. They had other products prior to that. I don't, I don't, was there a dedicated, was there, I don't think they had a dedicated, they may have a dedicated image search. I don't know if you count that as like core search or maybe. Yeah, it could have been that. Uh, They didn't build YouTube, they acquired YouTube. So I'm not counting that. Oh, yeah. And that wasn't until like 2008 or something. Yeah. Yeah. That was late. That was much later. That was in 2000. It looks like 2006. October 2006 Six, okay. is when they they uh, they bought um, YouTube. Um, no, because they built the thing in 90, I want to say 95 or 96. Yeah. And then uh, they took a bunch of money. They IPO'd in 04. Yes, they did. And that's when Gmail came out. YouTube was after, but I think. I feel uh, like it, Gmail again, might that, be the. Yeah, Gmail's, I mean, everything before that was search and advertising. And they picked up mail because it allowed them to do ads served in to the your mail, inbox. Yeah, so, yeah. so I might have actually been Gmail. But even that, okay, so let's go with that. That's a very, you know, it was a very solved problem. Um, they were entering. And a, even today, Gmail's a very simple product, to your point. Yeah, but they had, but even that, they approached it with a um, with a uniqueness. Part of, uh, at the time, again, way back in the, in the in the wayback machine here, the your public email addresses used to have these hard limits on quotas. Your your email quotas. Remember that? Remember you had you that, could only well, there have were two, so much. There were two hooks. There were two hooks: less spam and more space. And actually, no. Yes. Initially, I think it was just the space, space because they they had a spam problem at first, like everybody else. Yes. They wound up solving that pretty quickly. Yeah. But at first, it was you're right. It was it was the space. The big yeah. th- the big thing. Yes, it exactly was the right. quota. I remember, I signed up for the beta, and I remember I had a beta account, and I remember I remember gloating over it with my coworkers at the time, having that account. And the big thing yeah. was 
you had a massive amount. Of, it was probably at the time, it was probably like a gig of space or something like that at a time when 512 or a gig. Other, yeah, but it was just other enormous. Ones, it was enormous compared to these other ones where it was 10 megs or something. It was, it was no, nothing. whatever they, whatever they gave you back in those days, it was practically infinite. Was, I mean, it, like I say that was, as a joke, but yes, it really was it practically infinite. infinite. Yeah. It felt huge. And that was their big hook to get people. And it was free. Um, because they wanted you to to see the ads they well, wanted what to did they do? The what did they do? They induced scarcity with their invite codes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they did. They did. But even still, it was a it was a focused product in the sense that okay, we're gonna do we're gonna do an email platform. But the the big hook is uh, one Google search. That was the other thing. I stopped before that. I had folders upon folders to keep things organized. I stopped worrying about folders after. Um, after I did this because um, you can actually find what you're looking for. Yeah, I use the search and I find exactly yeah. what I'm looking for. It's no big yeah. deal anymore. Uh, that and then the, and then the space. Um, but yeah, yeah, oh my gosh, it was, it was so, it was huge and it go, it went up too. It just kept going up. That's what she like they, said. They, they just kept <laughs> gosh. And so the number kept climbing and, and to you, you'd actually see it over your know, weeks, over, yeah. over weeks and months, you would yeah, actually I see the space go up. It was great. I don't think I jumped into Gmail right away, but I think whenever I joined, whenever I got in, it was, I think a gig. And then at some point it, at some point it went to 10. Mm-hmm. I remember, I don't know what it is now. Is yeah. it unlimited or? Uh, it's not unlimited. It? No, it's not unlimited, but you know, the, the landscape changed. Now it's all the photos. Um, I'm actually. I've been getting these warnings from my my Google account because I'm nearly full on the free account. I think it offers you 15 gigs uh, of space. It's full. It's all photos. Oh, because they pull they pull storage across all their services yes, they for pull your account across okay. all the services, right? So yeah. uh, my photos take up the majority of that space, and so I have to move them to another service. Anyway, um, it, going that was that was a trip down memory lane sidebar. So the. Back to what we were talking about. The uh, the product that Google started as was very small, very, very well-defined, very lucrative. I mean, everyone saw the, a lot of investors saw the opportunity, but um, it still started out in a, in, a, in a very focused sense. And you can look at nearly every product and, and they all sort of, they all sort of start that way. IBM, IBM started as typewriters. That's what they were. International business machines. That's what they did. Those typewriters. And then they moved into, you know, more and more space inside there. So start start with a very well-defined, narrow niche. And if that means you say no to things, good. You should be saying no to things. You, be, you should be saying no to a lot of things. Go after, you know, make your best guess at what you think the most important things are. Then get it in front of customers. Get their feedback. And then continue to pivot and iterate. And as long as you keep that list small and well-defined, you'll figure it out very quickly where the opportunity is, or you will, and I think this is just as important, you'll very quickly figure out whether or not there's an opportunity at all. If there isn't one, then you're, you know, you're just which is which is weeds. another That's which another, is another advantage of not wasting any time on anything unnecessary to get the product out the door and introduce it to the market because you could be flat wrong and nobody gives a rip and then the less time you spend getting it into market is the less time will have been wasted if that exactly. turns out to be the case. People, yeah, people say that one, that's a bad thing, but that's actually you know knowing yeah. that you don't have something is just as important. And we're we're focusing just just a ton of time on 
getting to market and and introducing your introduction to market and and minimizing the time and effort required to do that there's another part of this which is which on the back end everything everything you produce you have to support mm-hmm. uh and you know i look at uh if i look at you know just my nine to five i look at some of the some of the products in our suite and i look at some of the features that cause us heartburn on an ongoing basis or some of the classes of features that that are tough to support and i think okay yeah they're there because at some point somebody asked for it if we had never actually satisfied that request we've never actually produced that product would we actually have lost sales? <laughs> Probably not enough to justify the ongoing maintenance cost associated mm-hmm. with having that in production. Um, and especially when I look at one of our platforms, we have a great platform, uh, but it's built to do a whole lot more than it does. Well, let me let me let me put it this way: it's built to do um, it's built to do a universe of things, and what the market mm-hmm. wants from us what they actually is a small subset requires a small subset of that capability. So we wind up paying this inordinate amount of tax, pardon me, uh, an inordinate amount of tax operationally, like in terms of infrastructure, all of time, complexity, things breaking. We wind up paying a huge amount of tax to support all of this machinery. And it, it winds up being kind of Rube Goldbergian when you step back and look at it. Because really, we only need a small subset. You know, right. now we have the conversation about, all right, how do we claw this back successfully? How do we, with um, with with purpose, with intentionality, with care, without disruption to the business, how do we begin to re- reduce some of this complexity and, and remove surface area from this thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the, you know, just to reinforce, it's it's not just the front end where these decisions matter. Be cutthroat, be focused, because it's probably going to save you a hassle on the back end, too. Yeah. I think a lot of people underestimate the time and effort it takes just to communicate these things, too. Yeah. So, here, I mean, here's a simple, here's a simple contrived example, right? You're, you're a company, you're sort of starting up, and you're at a point now where you've got some customers and things are moving along uh, modestly well. And it's to the point now where customer support on a, you know, on a daily basis, there is a routine influx of questions, concerns, and things like that. And you can't have your engineers or yourself doing it because that would be all you do and you'd be spinning your wheels. This is a role. This is an opportunity to bring in somebody to handle this work. Okay, so you're going to hire somebody. Well, this person's not going to be an engineer. This is going to be frontline customer service type of, type of work. But they need to understand your product. They need to use it. They need to know how it works so that they can answer questions and they can yeah. identify uh, what's a user side problem, what's a user error versus a an actual technical issue with the product that needs to be forwarded along to your customers. Okay. That's a lot of understanding. And, you know, it's your company, it's your widget. If you didn't write it down, if you didn't, if you don't have anything in place to to convey that knowledge, that's on you, buddy. You've got to do that. That is not an insignificant lift when it comes to communication and understanding and awareness. That's a whole skill up that you've got to do for one or more people so that they can handle that. And so the more complicated your product is, the harder that harder and harder that lift becomes. And I have seen it. It is very easy and effective to bring in a cust- to bring in new staff 
to work on or around a product that has excellent focus. And it is really, really hard yeah. to bring in a to bring in new staff to work on or around the product that has that lacks that same focus. Now, it doesn't have to be. I, I want to say focus. I want to distinguish focus from simplicity here because if you're a big established company, you might have multiple products. But if you're if you stay focused on those things, and you know we're doing this because X, we're doing that because Y. If you can explain that in very succinct terms, it's very easy. To, that is focus, and that that, that becomes easier to. Uh, an easier message to convey, easier for people to understand and pick up and run with. If you're not focused, though, it's it's much harder to bring those those people in to to do that. Um, and then, I mean, I use the uh, I use the example of you know hiring your own customer support people. Well, okay, what if you're a, like a white labeling type of scenario and you actually have to support your customers supporting their customers? Now you're like two levels removed. Oh my gosh, the process of training and leveling there is the good uh, luck. Oh, I, I mean, I've done it. It's, it's not <laughs> good fun. luck. It's not fun. It's a ton. That's a job in and of itself to keep them running straight. It's such a lift. Um, and, and that's even with a focus product and you know, <laughs> woe unto you if you don't have that focus. So build like the George Foreman grill is really what I'm, what I'm saying. And you know what? I'm going to make the George Foreman grill my pick because I had a George Foreman grill and I'd say it worked pretty well. I don't know if it made me lose weight, but I felt like I was losing weight and it was a pretty cool little product. Super augmented, silent and deadly. I just might end up enjoying this. And it also and you started, by the way, you started, by the way, we, we never answered your initial question. What's like, that? How is it that George Foreman came to build a grill in the first place? Oh, well, that was the joke. In the, that was the premise of the, I think they just hired him as a, of the, as a of the comedian, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, my, uh, my, my managers at, at my current company, we, so we were a public comp, we were a private, started as a private company and then we went public and then we went private and then we went public again. And then now we're private again. Uh, so like the Facebook status Did you actually of do our company times? on the stock exchange is it's complicated. So it's like on again, off again, <laughs> we're not really sure. Like we hook up, but then we don't talk for a while, you know? Um, no twice. Yeah. We've been, we've been pu- in the like 20 year history of the organization. We've been public twice now and then reprivatized. Um, the first time we were public, George, foreman was our spokesman at least for a season oh really uh, and i cool. i okay so so i only know this because i went looking i had to i had to uh go spelunking in the corporate like shared drive one day and i went up stumbling across a whole folder full of pictures with our executive staff mingling with george foreman on some rooftop bar someplace mm. <laughs> i asked my boss i was like what well, <laughs> When, what was this occasion? When, when did everybody meet George Foreman? This is crazy. And he said, no, he was our spokesman when we were uh, public the first time. I was like, that's, it was flabbergasting to public me. Public like, the I first not? time. Public yeah. the first time. So, so they actually have a, they have a history of this now. Now, now it's not just a, an exception. There's actually a pattern of behavior here uh, that you can look at. Uh, wonder a different, it's a different brand. It's a different name, right? Uh, so it's a uh, different, different comp, different lab, different logo means completely different organization. Completely you see. Different. Oh yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That's how that yeah. works. Yeah. yeah. I, I honestly don't, I honestly don't. I've never asked like, what were the, like, what was the, what was the goal, the thought process, the circumstances around our initial initial public offering and subsequent privatization? Um, I understand that the the second one happened during my tenure, so I know I know what what, what that was. But um, and it, it made sense, even if it looked a little weird from the outside. Um, but the first, I really don't know uh, what that was. But yeah, we my my executive staff uh, have uh, 
mingled with with George Foreman. Interesting. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah. Weird corporate lore that's <laughs> just useless knowledge rattling around that's in my a, head. That's now. a weird coincidence that I'm that we're talking about the George Foreman girl. Yeah. Again, we don't talk about this stuff before the show, folks. This is we, no. we just bring it to the table fresh to get fresh reactions. So we just sort of, you know, wing it. Um so yeah, George Foreman Grill. I thought that was a good story, and uh, I'll also link the the comedian Lachlan Patterson had a had a really really good bit about it that that sort of tipped me off to this to this entire conversation. So anyway, so nerdy nerdy, but not necessarily tech related. Uh, Halloween was was yesterday. Did your yep. did your kids go out? Of course they did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you seen online any of these videos? There are these, uh, these, uh, these dads, they're just legends. These guys, uh, they build like, like transformers to take their kids around. And there was the one, there's the one that goes around It's a few years old. Now, uh, the little girl gets in and her dad can carry her like in, in his, like carry her like on a, um, you know, like the chest, like the, the backpack mm-hmm, kid mm-hmm. carriers, but, but on the front and, and, but it's, it's built into like a giant mech suit. Oh yeah. I've so he, so he one, squats yeah. down he squats and the girl the, gets in and then he lowers the lid and it stands up and it looks like she's piloting yeah, a, she's a piloting mech suit mech, like those. Yeah. Oh my cool. gosh. That's, and that's, I saw one, I saw one this year with it. It was like three different kids and they were transformers. There was like a truck, a jet and you know, something else where they really just like they huddle down into fetal position and you know, it's whatever. I um, I have seen several of those. Co- I mean, cosplayers really sort of, yeah, it's not it's, Halloween. It's really just cosplay, but which just is heckin cool. It is. It's really cool. It's, it's, it's also, I don't know if cool is the right word. Cause it's basically extending your, you know, your childhood, you know, well into your adulthood and dressing in costumes. Like, well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, there is something for being an adult, but anyway, uh, it's, uh, but it is cool. I dressed up. I dre- look, I'm an adult. I dressed up when I took the kids around last night. I dressed up yeah, right? because on my way out, on the way out the door, my wife stuck one of those, you know, the, the glasses and big nose, mm-hmm. uh, glasses on my face. She stuck that on my face on my way out the door. So I was dressed up. I was festive. Uh, okay. All right. Well, by that measure, I, I was too. I have a, um, <laughs> last year I built a really complex origami, um, uh, a werewolf, uh, helmet thing. It's made out of. So paper you were. So you were Star Fox. It. No, no, it's not. Not nearly that cool. That would. That would okay. be pretty awesome. But no. All right. So you were a dumb cool. Star Fox. Gotcha. <laughs> Such a jerk. My favorite. My favorite online thing at, at at Halloween time are the memes about uh the dangerous things that people find in their candy. Um, and I have this, uh, I have a video I'll, I'll link this one in the, in the show notes too, just cause it's yeah, really like fun. pencils and toothbrushes and informational no, 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 pamphlets. No, no, not that. I mean, well, yeah, that stuff's crap too, but, um, no things like, Hey, I opened my Twix and there was an AR 15 inside of it. And yeah. Show this yeah. That was like, it. It's a Twix like stretched. <laughs> it's just got a little bit of the caramel across the AR 15. Um, and, like an entire chainsaw inside of an apple. Right. Like these, yeah, these, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, oh, I opened up a skittle. I opened up skittles and I found a samurai sword. <laughs> you know, I, I love those. Yeah. Those are, those are great. Cause my mother was, uh, growing up, my mom was super paranoid about the candy. She was one of the, one of the moms she would count and uh, not count. She would check the individual pieces. And so we would, we would wait and we had to wait until we got yeah. home before we need anything. Dump the bag. Dump no, the bag. my mother was like this too. Dump the bag and then check and each, each package to make sure it was airtight and all of this oh kind of thing. Oh my gosh. 
I think we've relaxed from it the, because there was like one. There was this one. Was, uh, it this was, is the a lot of it thing. was fake. A lot of it was fake. No, was this was hype. this was the same thing back. I think it was. I want to say the mid '80s. There was one case, one time in recorded history yeah. where somebody, uh, where somebody laced some, um, like somebody laced some Tylenol in a store with cyanide or something. Like one person died yeah. because the medication was tampered with. And now we've got this whole industry around the tamper proof and everybody's paranoid. Same yeah. thing with the candy. There was like one time that something happened and now everybody freaks out. I think, I, I don't know what your perspective is, but I think we have come to a point of society where I check the candy too, but it's to see what I want to skim off Let's the top. Eat, yeah. well, it's, <laughs> in, it's interesting how these things have changed over time. Cause yeah, I don't, I'm not doing that. I don't see a lot of the other parents around us doing that. I mean, I'll look through it a little bit, but generally that's not a concern. Walking on the street in the dark is way more risky than yeah. eating some candy from the neighbor. Next but see, door. here's the Sorry. thing. Here's, here's the, here's what I find really funny about this because, okay, we've decided, all right, this is nonsense. We're not going to do this, but you know, what we're really worried about is child abductions because you know, they might get swept off the street. And so you have all this helicopter parenting where it's like, I can't allow you to be more than 50 feet from me at any time. And yet same deal as like the candy. If you look at the statistics, they're so vanishingly small. The, the notion of child abductions, it doesn't happen. And yet we are afraid to let our kids venture anywhere out of anybody who spent sight. any time. Anybody who spent any time around children, you, you love yours. You don't want any more. Like, right. yeah. <laughs> but the number you have is the, is enough. And the number like the, of abductions. I have, I have, I have three kids. And the reason I have three kids is because I do not want four. <laughs> <laughs> like that's. Well, jokes on you. I figured it out after two. I don't know what your problem was. You're a little slow on that one. So I'm a slow learner. What do you yeah. want? So it, th that to me, I find that very funny because it's the same thing. It's this it, another it's great another example problem. where when you, when you thoughtlessly produce something, maybe it's easy to make, but then you've got to really pay for it on the back end. So with all the support and operations and everything that goes into keeping it, uh, keeping the customers happy. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, mailbag. I got a question. We can finish up the last uh, oh. 10 minutes or so. Yeah. Here you go. So does DevOps mean anything now that a bunch of companies are, quote, doing DevOps, but not really doing anything different than before? Yes and no. Okay. So I think I think the definition in inside of a and this is this is one of the terms where <laughs> you put three people in a room and you will wind up with four different definitions of the term. And that's that's the problem. That's why. Writ large, no, it has no meaning. It it is it is a completely empty term, and it does it does nothing to help anyone. Inside of the context of a particular team and organization, it can be ascribed meaning. More often than not, in in my purview, more often than not, I think that meaning it, that meaning, pardon me, is often very prescriptive and tactical and um operational in nature and everybody can agree that what devops really is or should be is an attitude and that's not the way people use the word in my experience yeah i know what, what's your take on this i would say that devops is a loaded term at this point and it can mean almost anything it's kind of like cloud i don't like it as a as a term and i and i act i try and actively avoid it if i can't actually talk in specifics about what it is because 
OG DevOps, it was literally what the acronym was smashing together, development and operations. It's those two things in the same room. And what it often becomes is a third leg. You've got dev, you've got ops, then you've got DevOps. And that's wrong. Hey, that's that, wrong. That, I, I see that in my org. We yeah. got it, right? Yeah. It's, it's a thing. And that's not, ha- that's, that's not a thing, though. It's, it's, all you're doing is creating more infrastructure and complexity that you, that you don't need. The idea is to actually put your developers and your operations folks in the room together, literally in the room together. They should just, just pair your devs with operations folks and have them work side by side. Okay, at this point, what I want you to do, I want you to stop the recording and in post, I want you to insert the entirety of our last episode about uh, about trust and delegation. There you go. Because <laughs> yeah. like that exactly, exactly applies to DevOps because what you want is to say, okay, maybe you've got a CTO, you've got a CIO, you've got development teams, you've got IT teams, infrastructure guys, network guys, security guys. And we had that argument a month mm-hmm, or two ago about mm-hmm. about uh, distributed security teams and how that might look. What you really want to do is say, okay, great, we've got these pools of talent. We are going to pull in kind of a, I know we don't like this term here on the Refactored Show, but in sort of a scrum-like mentality this. where you have a multidisciplinary product team that's that's aligned. Um you kind of want to just do that, but it takes trust and it takes delegation and it takes and it takes the kind of environment where agility is going to thrive. And so my my suspicion, DevOps and agility, I wonder, did we just stumble on something here? Are they separable saying? to any major degree? I don't I mean, true DevOps and true, true agile, which I I have actually started just going back to XP. I've started saying extreme programming to get away from the term agile because it's so overloaded. And I do the same thing with DevOps because it's again so overloaded. Um, no, I don't think you have. I don't think you have DevOps without Agile. And uh, true DevOps is a yeah. is a great real world instantiation of true Agile because it's, agility, right? It's, yeah, it's I, I don't think the they're room. separable. I think it's they're two sides the of a coin working together towards a common objective. And there is, you know, you've eliminated the outside rigidity, like inside that bubble. They just do what needs to get done, whatever it is. So let me ask you this. How would you how would you actually define DevOps then? I'm going to put you on the spot with that one. I define DevOps as exactly what it is. It's the combination of a developer working in tandem with operations. Now, here's the catch. Is that two different people? One side is the dev, one side is the operator. Or is that one person who can do both skills? Yes to both. It, it, it can be either. It can even be a weird amalgamation where you've got a really senior dev who is also doing you know, the operations because he's really good at it. And then he's brought on this junior and he's sort of just learning the dev. And so it's, you know, it doesn't have to be a 50, 50 split. It can be 60, 40, 70, 30, it doesn't matter. Or it can be one person who is well-versed in both. The point, I think the, the point is looking from the team as a black box, that one small atomic unit of business operations, that team has both the capability to develop software and operate it. Yeah. Exactly. Right? And so to yes. your point, is yes. that is that individual people within that team? Is doesn't that matter. is that people that can do but doesn't really doesn't like matter. if I'm looking outside in, that unit, that squad, I know that's a that's becoming a term, right? That that unit of the business has the ability to do it all, right? You you build it, you run it, you own it. Yeah. And whatever that looks like is whatever that needs to look like. I get back to your point about agility, right? Nobody cares as long as you get it done. Yeah. Yeah. I actually really like, I really like what you just said about black box. You talked about squads. I actually like this notion of calling them black boxes because 
That's exactly how they should operate. From the outside, it's a black box. You, you have no freaking clue what's going on inside of it. And you don't care as long as the input and the outputs are what you expect or within parameters. I input, who cares I input what in, the inside looks like? Input an expectation and I expect results. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's it. it. And the story. That's the interface. That's the entire that's the entire thing. That's the whole things. So yeah. There you go. We talked DevOps, agility. We got all kinds. Of, there's there's really there's quite a bit that we uh that we wrapped up in there. It was a meaty little nugget for one question. It was. It was. I like that. I like that. So if you'd like to write in and tell us how you burned your foot on a George Foreman grill, please send us an email, feedback at refactor.work. You could also uh, use a voice recorder on your phone and send us uh, send us that MP3. We'll play that on the show. We'd be happy to talk to you through that. Uh, happy to talk to you that way. Uh, you can find uh, more Frank shenanigans online at hotcoals, K-O-E-H-L-S dot com. Myself, I'm on to interwebs at Tonkinson.com. This has been episode 86 of the Refactored Podcast for November 1st, 2022. Thanks, Frank. See you, buddy.